0: Good day to you. All night. I'm Michael Jackson, prepared to speak and, if you will, be heard at any time from any place. We have no set agenda, save to speak of many or any things and to welcome any response you may have. Undoubtedly, the best news I've read and digested over the past couple of hours tells a welcome and, I think, unexpected story. Over the past half-century or more, America's been sort of flagellated for our poor eating habits. We are, we are assured, fat and getting fatter, and far less healthy, and we're getting flabby, all because of our dietary habits and our sedentary ways, more so than almost any other civilized society. In other words, we remain determined to consume all the fast food, deep-fried, all-wrong-for-us recipes concocted to fast-feed the family. Oh, I know some of the companies are turning out additions to their food items that give some lip service to the habits of those who wish not to be uncaring about ingredients and recipes. But here's the point. In a simple sentence, as unbelievable as this may seem, the death rate from heart disease in the United States was cut in half between 1980 and 2,000. Cut in half, that's amazing, in just 20 years. Nearly half of the death rate reduction has been a result of better medicine and medical treatment. We treat heart attack victims better. We have medications which successfully reduce cholesterol and blood pressure. A full 44 percent of the reduction in heart disease death rates comes from living better, better lifestyle improvements, less smoking, more healthy diets, increased exercise. We certainly could improve, we could do better, and it will be interesting to take health measurements in another 20 years, say, and hope for a further 50% drop in heart disease-related deaths. What if tensions heighten further, causing the Bush administration to precipitate an attack on Iran? That state is, it appears, under its current leadership, implacably belligerent. If we want a less hostile Iran... Perhaps we need to send the leaders in Tehran a truly coherent message. See, up until now, U.S. policy for that country has been somewhat contradictory. On the one hand, we say we're willing to further negotiate with them, but at the same time, we are threatening them with the presence of two aircraft carriers in the Gulf. If we decide to bomb Iran, there's no doubt that would produce another failing state in the Middle East. Regime change is most likely the Mullah's biggest fear. Their major yearning is to respect in the world as a major power. It is likely that President Ahmadinejad and his KGB-like intelligence sector are threatened from within their own country, as most Iranians don't want to find themselves on the battlefield with the United States. Both countries have stated that they would consider further talks on Iraq if the other side would change their policies. The Iranian Foreign Minister, Muttaki, added that he would have to see a willingness, these are his words, a willingness on the American side to solve the problems in Iraq and correct their policies. From this side, the Secretary of State, Condoleezza Rice, said that the U.S. would wait to see whether Iran stopped shipping roadside bombs to Iraqi insurgents. As fanatical, radical, and nutty as their leadership is, we have to continue to deal with them. With a backdrop of deepening animosity between the two countries, we still managed to have direct high-level talks last week for the first time since 1980. No agreements were reached, and probably none were anticipated, but both sides gave lip service to the prospect of future talks. We can but hope, and there could be, on the other hand, more warfare. You're tuned to, you're listening in on me. I'm Michael Jackson, coming to you wherever you happen to be from Los Angeles, California. Some of the emails coming in from all over provide some wonderful material for discussion and commentary. Here's one from Buenos Aires, Argentina. Michael, I love this. Michael, do you think the bill is going to be an asset or a liability for Hillary? Alvaro? I think that question can be answered already. He is clearly an asset. And he is clearly a liability. And in an election that is so wide open, with few apparently charismatic suitors for the top spot, he adds colour, character and experience. She is so astute and aware, and she knows that his performance leading up to the election can be the best thing she has going for her, if, or once elected, he could just possibly become an enormous liability. How so? I think that will depend on how he performs or behaves himself when he is relegated to um, presidential husband. We had eight years of the Bill Clinton administration. There are people who do worry that should Hillary win the election and go on to complete two terms, that would give us 16 years of Clinton leadership. Of course, President Bush will not be involved in any of the forthcoming debates between the candidates, but I would love to hear the United States Senator ask him simply, Mr. Bush, how well we remember all your campaign slogans, but to reflect on the most frequently heard of them for a moment. You said, I'm a uniter, not a divider. Who, by your estimation, have you united? There are many who would say you've united billions of people in this world against us. Ask the Bush family, from the former governor of Florida to the former first lady, from the first Bush president to the incumbent, Who is the fairest of them all in the Middle East? I'd guess their responses would be much the same. The fairest is the former Saudi ambassador to the United States, now a national security advisor to King Abdullah of Saudi Arabia, the powerful Prince Bandar bin Sultan. They just may have had a close and loving relationship with one enormously corrupt royal, if the accusations against him are accurate. According to the BBC programme much-respected Panorama and the website of the United Kingdom's Guardian newspaper, the Prince was paid over $200 million a year for more than a decade in connection with Britain's largest-ever defence contract. Ain't influence and the peddling of influence grand? It appears Britain has dropped any further investigation of the man and the case because, as the head of the British Serious Fraud Division said, the continuing investigation would have jeopardized Britain's national security. Damn, that's a pity. Much closer to home is the continuing embarrassment of Gitmo. It is so un-American. I'd love to know how Mr. Bush had the power to create this system in the first place. Gitmo, the detention camp at Guantanamo Bay. Years are passing, and hundreds are still held there without basic human rights, without judicial process. Why? The inmates, many of whom might well be horrendous and dangerous people, are given no chance to defend themselves. Last year, when the Republicans were in the majority on the Hill, the President managed to ram through passage of the Military Commissions Act of 2006 to give legality to the detention camp. Congress, now under Democratic control, should restore the right of the inmates at Guantanamo Bay to challenge their detentions. Even the administration claims that only a small minority of the inmates actually deserve a trial. The others should be released and sent home. Gitmo should be closed down, and detainees should be screened by real courts, not kangaroo courts. Somehow this should happen soon. Congress should repeal the Military Commissions Act, and commence a newer system for determining whether prisoners really are deserving of a trial or whether they should be sent home to face a real trial. In a recent New York Times editorial, they said the Guantanamo camp was created on a myth that the American judicial system could not handle prisoners of the war against terror. It was built on a lie that the hundreds of detainees at Gitmo are all dangerous terrorists. They aren't. It was organized around a fiction that Mr. Bush had the power to create this rogue system in the first place. These detainees should be brought before real courts, and those who are truly illegal combatants should be sent off to either military or civilian jails, or sent to an international tribunal. Some should be sent home to face trial or be freed. Until then, what we have are military tribunals, which give the inmates no chance to defend themselves and allow evidence that was obtained through torture. Have we forgotten, or do we remember, the Geneva Conventions? On the home political front, the likelihood grows closer to reality. The former United States Senator Fred Thompson of Tennessee is most likely to announce that he's a candidate for the Republican nomination for the presidency. He's filed the necessary preliminary papers which allows him to start raising money and hiring a staff. His pitch to conservative Republicans will be strong and in all likelihood most effective. He's made it clear that he believes that the country needs new leadership and in his address recently he said, we're going to cut some new ground over the next year or so. His speech is soft, has a southern cadence. His way with words is homespun, reflecting his small-town lawyer background. In a nutshell... The man most readily recognized as a Hollywood actor has all but announced his intention to announce. There are already at last count ten Republican candidates running for president. All seem to have failed to spark much of a response from the electorate. This man wants to appear non-threatening to general election voters. Hey, if he makes it, I hope he works harder than he did when he was a United States senator. Here's a quote of his that will get a great deal of play, I foresee, in the 08 election. Thompson, who spent eight years in the Senate, claimed that he left because, I quote, after eight years in Washington, I longed for the realism and sincerity of Hollywood. I'm Michael Jackson. Thanks for joining us.